Hello, everyone. How are you? Okay, good to see you all. Glad you're here. Um, and a couple of uh, notes just to let you know. We do not live stream this class. But what we do is we video this class, as we will do all of the, um, the BLGs. So, uh, following this class, usually within two or three hours, the video from this class is online. So if you go to Garippa Foundation uh, and you hit watch, all right, you will be able to connect with this video. So if you were, if you were interested in what I said and you couldn't keep notes fast enough because I speak a little too quickly, uh, I just want to assure you that it's all available for you to get. So it's, it's uploaded almost immediately afterwards. Now, tomorrow morning, we live stream. So tomorrow morning, somewhere around 8.10 or 8.15, uh, if you go again to Garippa Foundation and hit Watch Live, wherever you are, you'll be able to be a part of what we're doing at the Naples Conference Center, the men's group. So a uh, couple of ways for you to be part of what we do. I hope you'll give that to your attention. Uh, and I just think that the more you study the Bible, the more you see what God has said in his roadmap, his roadmap to heaven, the more your lives will be blessed. Now, you're all sitting there with the outline from Daniel chapter 7, and we will get to that this morning. But before we do that, I had a a several uh, closing comments relating to the prior study, Daniel chapter 4, and I wanted to make certain that I had a chance to speak to you about that. And what you see as we study the prophecies of Daniel is that God is making it very clear that he is in charge of history, that kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but they serve and stand at the will of God, and they're like flowers that will wilt away in the field. Uh, they do not stand forever. Even someone like Nebuchadnezzar who thought that he would be around, his kingdom would be around forever, we see that, in fact, that's not the case. And so God is hammering the point, I am in charge. And we're going to see that increasingly in the rest of these prophecies, certainly the ones that we'll study later today. So this will become crystal clear to you. Now, one of the things that impressed me about the study of Nebuchadnezzar is that God spoke three times to Nebuchadnezzar about his pride, about who was in charge, about the sovereignty of God. Um, and sadly, uh, he didn't get it until the very end. Uh, and so it becomes important for us to look at that as we see the heart of man. This is the problem with the heart of man. It is the heart. Very simple. It is the heart. Because man effectively believes that he is in charge of his own life. That whatever he has, he's acquired because of his own gifts and talents. He is where he is because of his intellect, because of his giftedness. And he never lifts up God and recognizes that God has, in fact, given him all that he has. And that's the lesson that needs to be repeated over and over and over again to you. Everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you will be is because God has given it to you. You don't do a thing or have a thing that you have in your life without the will of God. And the lesson for you, and as you continue to walk with Jesus and get closer to the cross, is you bow your head every day and you give it up to him. 
Nebuchadnezzar did not do this. Um, and if you turn to Daniel chapter 4, uh, as we finish up that, that passage, I think you see, you see some important lessons here uh, as, to, as to how he is basically not really giving it to God. And you would think that after all he had been through, he would recognize this. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Let me give you a key in scripture. When you see the word my repeated several times, that's not a good thing in a sentence, okay? My repeated several times is not a good thing. Me, me, I, I, my, my. God repudiates that. He repudiates that. And here this king, this great personage, this great personage is going to finally learn this language. And you see in verse 31, the words were still on his lips. I love that word. It's like the words, I didn't even finish saying it. I got halfway through. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the cattle. Seven times, that seven years, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. God does what he wishes to do in his sovereign time. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and nails like the claws of a bird. God doesn't fool around. God doesn't fool around. I've given you the message once, you didn't take it. I gave it to you a second time, you didn't take it. Finally, three times. What do I have to do to get through to your dense head? All right? I know what I have to do. You'll wander in the forest like an animal for seven years. You think that'll work? You think that'll work? We'll take a look at verse 34. It does work. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Let's stop right there. Something different has taken place here. You understand? Something different. All of a sudden, it appears as if Nebuchadnezzar is now recognized sovereign God, the creator of the universe. He's bowing to him. His dominion, he continues, is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? My God, he gets it. He gets it. And so what you see here is a full-on recognition and devotion to the sovereignty of God. A recognition of this is what he does. And we continue there 
uh, with verse 34, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the kingdom of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride is he is able to humble. What a great message that is. After spending seven years as a wild animal, effectively losing all of my sanity, this man comes to this great pronouncement. All right? God stands atop everything. Man will be humbled. Man has no consequence in the eyes of God other than what God decrees that he is to be. And most theologians, if you study this, most theologians say this, that when we get to heaven and we are at the marriage feast of the Lamb, sitting at that table, you will find King Nebuchadnezzar because King Nebuchadnezzar effectively is saved. That's what salvation is, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is uh, when you see someone bowing in humility to God, uh, that his life now is no longer about his life. It's about the life that God has given him. Now, here's the point that I want you to remember. God is speaking to us about why he treats us this way and about the judgments of God. Why did God act the way he did with Nebuchadnezzar? Why does God pronounce a judgment on us when we lift ourselves up, when we refuse to humble ourselves, when we do not submit? Why does God do that? And what happens to men and women when they refuse to do that, when they, when they refuse to properly acknowledge God? Well, we have a very clear theological point on that in Romans chapter 1. I want you to read that as we, we bring this section to a close. Romans chapter 1. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. What does that mean in plain English? It means this, that every single person that comes into this world has within their hearts a GPS, a system that draws them towards God. And even though they may never hear the gospel message, they may never really hear about who Jesus is, because of this GPS, all right, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he is the light that lighteth the heart of every man that cometh into the world. Every person that comes into the world has implanted within them the light of Jesus Christ. They may not understand that it's Jesus. They may not understand Theology 101, but here's what they do understand and how God brings it home. They look up into the heavens. They see the sun. They see the moon. They see the stars. And all of it revolves in perfect unity, day after day, century after century. They see nature, and they see mountains and rivers and the extraordinary works of God. And what man comes to understand is that all of this is from the sovereign God. That's how God speaks to these people. 
All right? And so even people who may never have heard articulated this specific gospel of Jesus Christ have effectively heard this. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. It's all around you. Open your eyes. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. There is no excuse, right? You have that GPS. You have that system within you, that light of Jesus Christ within you. So continuing on, understanding why God does what he does when we refuse to humble ourselves and we lift ourselves up. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is what happens. Because as we lift ourselves up, as we close ourselves off to what is clearly evident, what is clearly visible, and we concoct some phony baloney theology in our own mind, as we do all that, our lives become darkened. And a day of judgment approaches. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. I want you to think about the foolishness of this. Here God has painted the picture. He's put the GPS in your heart. The light of Jesus Christ has lit into your heart. And yet you are creating images of birds and reptiles and worshiping these images. How do you think God reacts to that? How do you think the God of the universe reacts to that? Do you wonder why the wrath of God is released on mankind? Do you wonder why this country is in the situation it is and the world is in the situation it is? When we have not bowed to God, we have not taken God into our hearts and into our homes, instead we concoct our own philosophies, our own theologies, and we do not submit to the will of God. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. That's how God does it. Okay, that's what you want. You want to worship that bird. You want to worship that lizard. Okay, you don't want to worship me. I'm going to give you over to all of the sinful desires of your hearts because that's where you're headed. Uh, and, and there he says, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. If you wonder why you see in this country and in other countries in the world the, the total sexual degradation of humanity, it is because we have rejected God. I can't give you any other answer. When you reject God, when you take him out of your life, this is where you are headed. God will give you over to that lust. He'll give you over to that impulse. And what will happen is you will wind up degrading yourself and degrading your body. They exchanged, verse 25, the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. They are worshiping the creation. When I see people uh, in some of this new age garbage that's out there, 
this so-called religion, and they're praying to a mountain. Well, go ahead, pray to that mountain. See what kind of an answer you get to that prayer, all right? And this is what's wrong with the New Age stuff. There are people out there in this world believing this. This is why we have to fall on our knees and give ourselves back over to God. It's why I said that in the prayer this morning. I'm sorry to say it. There are people that come to church week after week after week and are not truly born again. They're not born again. All right? Yes, they belong to a church. Their family belongs to a church. They've been there for year after year after year. And here's what's happened. You get up in the morning, you get dressed, you come to church, and then you go out for pancakes. And the best part of the day for a lot of us is the pancakes. The pancakes. Because you have not fully committed yourself to God. He's not speaking to your heart. You're not truly born again. This is a very, very serious subject. Really, God has laid this on my heart. Uh, heavily as I, as I come to really study Daniel and understand what God says. And here's the point of what this is about, folks. Let me make this perfectly clear. You do not get born again because you suddenly decide, you know what? From today on, I'm going to be good. I'm going to mark a, a line in the sand. This is the day I will be righteous from now on. No more cursing. No more bad drinking. No more Anger. You heard a lot about anger. I'm starting today. I'm not going to be angry anymore. I put that thing on the sand. I am changing myself today. And guess what? Tomorrow, bzz, back to where you were. Why? Because you have not really given your heart to God. You cannot be born again because you decide in your mind to be born again. You become born again when you bow to the will of God, put your face in the dust, and allow, and allow him to let your hand come out of the muck and mire of your life, and he reaches across eternity and fills you with the Holy Spirit, and from that moment on, a peace of God is in your heart, and you are born again. And nothing, no power, no principality, no evil, no angel, no demonic spirit, nothing will take you out of the hand of God. Can I get an amen on that? Let's understand this. All right? Let's understand this. And let me say something further about this. It's appropriate because I said it this morning as I prayed in church, but I mean it even more so right now. If there's any one of you that have an issue about this and are not absolutely certain that you have given yourself over to God and are truly born again, I'll wait here today and I'll pray with you and we'll end it once and for all. Because if that's what you're concerned about, we'll make it right today. God will speak to your heart and seal you with your heart. And so you understand this. You see what's going on. You see how God is doing this. And so this is such a critical decision for us as you see this great and mighty king being reduced to a wild animal. Why? Because he did not give himself over to God. Plain and simple. He did not give himself over to God. And so we have to learn from this. We need to draw strength from these lessons. And so we need to really focus on what God is saying. And so this, these prophecies by Daniel are critical. It exposes the coming history of the world. 
That's why we study it. So now we're going to look at Daniel chapter 7 uh, as we focus on the lesson for today, Daniel chapter 7. Now, this, the material in this section of Scripture is parallel to the original vision that Nebuchadnezzar had recorded in chapter 2 of the statue with the gold head. But it is important to understand that this begins a new section in the book of Daniel. Uh, because the first six chapters of, the, of Daniel presented the career of Daniel in a roughly chronological order under three kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. But now the account skips backward a little bit and then forward. And so what you're going to see here is what becomes a trans-historical account. We're going to see now in this next series of dreams how God has given Daniel a picture of the world to come. What will happen in the world to come? And the first part of the dream, he's going to see really the next thousand years, and we're going to talk about that. But then even he's going to see forward even much more than that into the last days, into the coming of the Antichrist, into the persecution that will take place in this world in terms of an awful period of time. And he will get a picture of all that. And so this is important to understand this. Uh, and, and so let's read, if you would, Daniel chapter uh, 7, beginning with verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. The great sea here is the Mediterranean Sea. Every time the great sea is mentioned in Scripture, it refers to the Mediterranean. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me, there was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, you remember, when we left off last week, we spoke about the ten horns being that confederation of nations in the Middle East that would, in the last day, come together in order to attack and destroy Israel. These effectively are the same ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns then, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. This little horn, ladies and gentlemen, is the appearance of the Antichrist. This is no longer a country or a nation. This 
is the Antichrist, which is why we believe that the Antichrist will come out of the Middle East, all right? It will come out of the Middle East in, in terms of one of these ten nations that will confederate against Israel. As I looked, thrones were set in place. Now, I want you to get this picture, because what Daniel is seeing now is how court is convened in heaven. God is about to pronounce judgment. This is, a, this is some incredible picture that you get there. As I look, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. God himself, the God of the universe, walks in and sits at this throne. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. Quite a picture. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. And I want you to understand, most likely it was really millions, but because of the limitation of mathematical nomenclature at that time, thousands were really the highest number that they used. So I believe it's millions he's watching. Attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Actually, I think 10,000 times 10,000 is a million, right? So we're saying a million. The court was seated and the books were opened. Oh, wow. The books were opened. Judgment is now about to take place. Then I continue to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. There you go. You see how it gets down again to pride uh, and the lack of humility. Here you see the boastful words from the little horn, who you will learn is the Antichrist, who is raising himself up above God, who will do the most unspeakable of things, who will effectively erect a statue of himself in the temple of temples uh, and, and become an abomination of all abomination at the last days. This is what the Antichrist will do and will slay and kill the martyrs of the church. Uh, and, and so then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Let me tell you something, rest assured. I don't want anybody to be calling me up in the middle of the night and saying I'm getting nightmares because of your preaching. <laughs> I'm getting a nightmare because of your preaching. Look, I'm going to tell you what the end is. We win. It's a good ending. God is raised up. We win. And the Antichrist is consigned to a flame of fires. Amen? So don't go sitting here now going nuts and worrying about the last days. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll get to this point. You're not even going to be there to see the Antichrist because by the time that he comes around, your ticket's going to be punched. You're going to be raptured out of this world. Amen? So even if you still are alive on that awful day, God is going to suck the entire church out of this world. He's going to take it out of this world. All right? So don't go losing your mind now about this and worrying about this. Be mindful of it because you have to preach it to the world. I'm teaching you this so that you can speak to the lost people of this world and tell them what's going to come because you're not going to be here to tell them that day. All right? 
This is an important lesson to understand, and you understand this. Uh, the other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I look, and this becomes critical. And this I want you to really underline these verses here uh, from verse 13 through uh, uh, 14 because this becomes the first time in the Bible, in all of Scripture, that Christ will be referred to as the Son of Man. It is a nomenclature that comes out of this scripture right here and is authenticated by Jesus to such an extent that Jesus himself refers to himself as the Son of Man 81 times. 81 times the Son of Man. He doesn't really refer to himself as the Messiah only once, really, to the Samaritan woman at the well. And then when he's being confronted by Herod, uh, when Herod says, uh, are, you are, the, are you the Son of God, the Christ? And he would say, it is as you said. But other than that, Jesus doesn't refer to himself as the Messiah. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. Why? Because he didn't want to be misunderstood. Because if you were a first century Jew and you heard somebody said he was the Messiah, you expected him to lift up the shackles of Rome. You expected him to be a warrior, a soldier, someone who would fight for your freedom. And God called you to a higher position. He called you to free the shackles of sin. That's what God called you. That's what your Messiah was about. And that's why Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. And so it says here, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. Remember, this is 600 B.C. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And the congregation said, there's your Jesus. There's your Jesus. That's who God has given you. That is the Son of Man. And so he sits astride this great vision uh, in the most powerful of ways. Um, and so uh, you, you see this, and you see how God speaks in, in the most incredible way. And so what you see here is a vision that differs from the vision in Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar has. It's juxtaposed with that vision, and while it is similar, yet it is different. And the reason why it is different is because the first vision, the first vision of the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron, the first vision is the view of man to the countries. Man is seduced by the power and the glory of these nations. Uh, and man is seduced by it. And that's why in the seduction of man, it is in these incredible, this incredible language of gold and silver and brass, and then even with Rome, of iron, because man is seductively brought in by the power of man and thinking that the answer to everything that you need is the state. The state will take care of you. The state has the power. The state is of no consequences. It stands before God. 
Really? No consequence as it stands before God. And now you juxtapose this vision with this second vision. Now it's the second vision that God has looking at the same picture, but now you see it from the perspective of God. The head of gold. It's no longer gold. Now it's a lion with wings, but a lion whose wings are pulled off, pulled apart. God sees these images, these powers as evil and vicious and serving only a period of time. And the reason why, when you can look at this first image and understand that that it relates to Nebuchadnezzar, it's because effectively the wings are pulled off. Nebuchadnezzar is sent into the forest. He wanders around as as a wild animal. And then it says there, finally the animal rises up on two legs. At the end of the vision, at the end of the time of seven years, Nebuchadnezzar walked out on two feet. He walked out on two feet. So that, you see, is an image of God. And then you move down and look at these kingdoms. The second one was the Mede and Persian kingdom. All right? And we know that the Mede and Persian kingdom uh, took over somewhere about 70 years after Daniel was taken captivity. So that's somewhere around 530 or so. And so what you see there is, is uh, uh, five, 530 B.C., the Mede and Persian kingdom coming in there, and it says that that they had three ribs in their mouth. That's because if you study that within a short period of time, when that kingdom took over, they conquered three other kingdoms. Three other kingdoms. The three ribs uh, in its mouth. Uh, And so clearly, that's what that part of of the dream represents. The third beast, the third beast corresponds to the middle portion of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. This is the part made of bronze and represents the Greek empire of Alexander the Great. Now, let me explain something to you about how uh, powerful Alexander the Great was. Alexander the Great conquered the entire world by the time he was 32 years old. 32 years old, he conquered the entire known world. And two things characterized that empire. The speed with which it was achieved... uh, and the speed with which it divided up into four separate kingdoms. And it's, it's, it's compared here to a swiftly running leopard. That's why the leopard was chosen. The leopard is the fastest, really, of all animals. And this speed of this leopard is now effectively uh, compared to the Greek empire. He, Alexander won this uh, vast empire in one extended campaign. He started it. And he continued, and he never stopped until he was finished conquering the whole world. But within a few years of his death in 323 B.C., few years of his death in 323 that that kingdom was divided up into four parts, into four parts in which his generals then fought amongst themselves and divided up. And so you see this here. Uh, uh, and, and understand this, that that's exactly how God will, will work and how, how their, their kingdom is going to be divided up. Now, the final beast of Daniel's dream, the terrible one, unlike any known animal, corresponds to the legs, feet, and toes of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw and represents Rome. Understand something. It's a parallel dream, a parallel image. 
And what you see here now is God now giving the true picture of what it is. And it's a terrible, vicious animal with iron teeth, devouring and consuming all that it comes in front of. And I want you to see this, uh, verse 19. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. You know that Rome will rule for almost 1,000 years. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. I spoke to you about this last week. Those ten horns are a confederation. I gave you a citation uh, in the Psalms that spoke about those ten nations surrounding Israel. They will form a confederation, all right? I know that many of you have grown up uh, and, and have been taught that those ten horns relates to the countries out of Western civilization, out of the successor of Rome, but I do not believe that's the case. When I read this, I see this as the Antichrist coming out of the Middle East. If the Antichrist comes out of the Middle East, he's going to come out of one of these ten nations. It makes sense that it's these ten nations that are going to commit themselves to wiping out Israel. They will confederate themselves together and will make that key move. And so that's why I believe that what I'm giving you uh, is within the will of God. Uh, and so as you see this uh, and you get this picture, you see, you see how powerful this is. And so now in the middle of all of this, the ten horns are there. One horn comes up. One small horn comes up. And that small horn will effectively uh, take over three of the nations, three of the ten nations. I don't understand all of that. But what happens next is now this horn is no longer speaking as a nation. It is now speaking as a man. It is speaking as a man. And this becomes important for you to understand this. Uh, because you read, you read the language here, and you see exactly how, what takes place. Uh, let's look, first of all, um, at verse 21. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. All right? This is, this is a horn that wages war against the saints, specifically against the saints. Uh, and if you look... Uh, also, at a previous verse, it says that it had a mouth that spoke boastfully, and eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. What does that mean? It means that this particular personage is not only martyring the saints, picking out the people of God to destroy, but boasting about the power that it holds and defeating them until the Ancient of Days comes and pronounces judgment in favor of them. Uh, and so, uh, verse 23, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. What does that mean? He will try to change the set times and the laws. There's precedent for this. 
where other dictators who came in decided to change the laws and the way time was set. Uh, this is an incredible situation. And this is exactly what the Antichrist will do. Why? Because he will try to remove any reference of the Sabbath, the seven days given by God himself. He will want no reference whatsoever to the kingdom of God in anything that he's affiliating himself to. And then continuing on there, it says, uh, he will speak against the Most High. He will speak against the Most High and oppress the, the saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a half a time. What does that mean? A time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. Mark it down. Three and a half years. He will have power. He will have authority. But it will be limited to three and a half years. All right? And we're going to study this in depth. Uh, but you see this right here in this prophecy of Daniel. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Look, God rules. Man sits for a time on stage, but God rules. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned purple, but I kept the matter to myself. Well, here's the deal, folks. I don't want you to be deeply troubled. I don't want your face to turn purple, all right? All right, he had the dream, but we now have the confidence that God is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. We win. God triumphs. God lifts up Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will sit astride the entire world, all of the world. Every knee, every knee will bow to Christ when he comes back. Every knee throughout the world will bow to Christ. Have no fear. He's holding you like this. Nothing will take you out of his hand. Let's bow and ask God to seal this message. Lord, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the assurance of understanding that you have all of history uh, under control, Lord. I ask you that this lesson resonate in our hearts this week as we continue to study it. Be with our people. Bless them in every way and protect them, Lord, to bring them back safely next week to continue the ongoing study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.